Amen. Thank you, Cindy. If you have a Bible with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to depart again tonight from the message I had planned uh, from this morning. But this passage has also been on my heart this week. And, and uh, the music tonight kind of confirmed that, uh, that we would look at this passage. And so uh, the first part of the, the passage that I'll read, the context... To, if you want to call it the contextual part, the part that helps us understand where I want to get to is the gospel. And talking about the love of Christ tonight, I can't help but wonder if there isn't one that's been listening that has been pricked in their heart once again. You know, you may have come to church for a long time, in 30, 40 years maybe, and yet never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm not talking about a belief in your head. I'm talking about a life-changing faith in your heart that has, has turned your life upside down because Jesus Christ came in to dwell. Well, that's the difference. You can have a head knowledge of Christ or you can possess Christ in your heart as His Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in you. Well, that is the hope of glory we learned just last Sunday. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you know Him tonight in a very personal way? And I think it's important that we understand that. And it's not going to be my message. We'll get to that as we move on. But I want you to read with me in 1 Corinthians 15. And notice what Paul says is the gospel. Very, very simple. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Notice that word in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 1, received, received. The gospel is not something you can only hear. It's not something that can only be present in this world to be effective. It must be received. So many people today believe that they're on their way to heaven because Christ died on the cross. While it is true that Christ died on the cross, the gospel is present in the world and it is available to all who would believe, but you must receive it. It is not something that is universal in nature. It is for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There was a change that took place in our lives when we received the gospel message. When we received Jesus Christ into our lives. The Bible says, but you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible says that he translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. There was a transformation that takes place, but you must receive Jesus Christ. It cannot just be a present in this world. It must be something that we take into our lives. I'm going to pause right now, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray and ask God to, to teach us his precepts tonight and help us understand what the apostle is trying to show us. So let's bow together and let us pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your love. We've sang about it six different songs tonight. We've heard scriptures about God so loving the world and that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is love. That he would give his life in a sacrificial way to pay the price for an unloving, unlovely people. But yet you loved us and died for us. Father, I can't help but think there's somebody who is listening, others who may be visiting on the web tonight and, and just kind of came across our church service. I, I can't help but believe that that was not an accident, but that God put them in our path for them to hear the gospel message. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to hearts and move in people's lives. Father, I, I, Lord, we don't want to preach the gospel in vain. 
Lord, we pray that your word would have power that would reveal the very darkest parts of our heart and help us to understand and and come to a knowledge that we are lost without Jesus and we need a Savior. And Lord, we pray that you would just open up our eyes to that truth. If there's one that's listening that maybe even has professed to be saved for many, many years, Lord, if they have any doubt whatsoever, uh, Lord, if I can make them doubt, the devil will have a heyday with them. So God, I pray that they'd get it settled tonight. Oh God, I pray that you would reap many souls to you. And Lord, when we get to the passage of Scripture, if we get to that passage of Scripture that you've put upon my heart tonight, would you encourage the saint? Would you help us? And so, Father, I trust you tonight to speak through me. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> let's begin reading again. And I've only read one verse, but let's read it again so that we don't lose our spot. The apostle is writing to the church at Corinth, the apostle Paul. And he says, moreover, brethren, moreover, you understand that word, right? This is over and in abundance, or in addition to, this is the most important thing. Paul has told them a lot of things in the book of Corinthians. We read about the, a, a carnal church. We read about sin that's taking place in their congregation. We read about how they have not mourned over that sin, and they should have put it out of their assembly. And, and we read a lot about doctrine in the book of 1 Corinthians. But Paul gets to this point, and he says, there's something we just need to stop and talk about for a minute. We need to make sure we're saved. You know, a saved church, and by the way, there's no such thing but a saved church, because a church is an assembly of believers. But there's a lot of assemblies out there, people that have gathered together and put the name church over the door that do not have a saved membership. And I can't guarantee that everybody in our church is saved. We don't know that. They might be a sincere people loving God and following God, but have they actually submitted themselves to the gospel message and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? We don't know for sure. Only the Holy Spirit bears witness with their heart. And uh, to the best of our knowledge and the best of our ability, we'll stand one day at a funeral and we'll give a eulogy and we'll say, well, we believe they're in heaven. We've seen a testimony of a life well lived, a life that followed Jesus and a life that lived for God, but only that person and the Holy Spirit bearing witness with them and God the Father and God the Son are the only ones that know if they're truly saved. And so Paul stops and he says, all this doctrine I've taught you and all these things about sin that I've taught you and and I've tried to help you with, here's something we need to make sure of. We need to make sure we're saved. Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems in the church if we had a saved membership? Not only saved, but living for the Lord Jesus Christ and living out that salvation on a daily basis. So he says, moreover, most importantly, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. So the gospel is something that we receive, we trust Christ into our lives, but we also stand in it. It is active in our lives on a daily basis. We must go forward in the gospel by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. The word vain is meaning empty. There was no substance to it. 
So many have prayed a prayer. So many have have confessed faith. So many have been baptized. So many have joined the church, but they have believed in vain and not really meaning what they have said or believing in their heart unto God for salvation. It's so important that we understand that salvation is a life-transforming faith of the heart that allows God to come in and change us eternally. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all, That which I also received, how that Christ died, listen, for our sins. It's wonderful to think that Jesus died as a sacrifice unto God, but it was not some pagan ritual. It was not some bloodthirsty God that demanded uh, these sacrifices be made. No, that sin was, or that death was required because of the sin of mankind. He died for our sins. We see so many today in the world, even today, when we were in Africa, we saw it firsthand, people making sacrifice unto their false gods. Our God is not a bloodthirsty God. Our God did not delight in the death of his son. Our God does not delight in the death of anyone. The Bible says that that he died on the cross for our sins. It was a purposeful death that he would die for us, according to the scriptures. Verse 3, or verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. This Savior that died on the cross did not just die, but he rose again. I, I mean, we can say he was buried, and that is obvious in the scripture, he was buried, but everyone who dies is buried, but Christ did not stay there. Three days later, the Holy Spirit came and shook that grave and breathed life back into that saving, uh, the Savior that laid there. And the Bible says he laid aside his grave clothes and out he came. And we sing, up from the grave he arose. He rose triumphant over death and hell. According to the scriptures. So many times I will say, in a form of invitation, if you'll let us have some time with you, we'll share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ from God's holy word. I'll often say not some tract, which I'm not against tracts, I think we ought to hand them out if they're scriptural and have Bible verses in them. Not some creed, which also I'm not against if a church forms a creed that they're going to covenant together over. I'm not against that. I, I think having covenants with God are good things and making commitments are good things and writing it down doesn't hurt. And so I'm not against a creed and I'm not against a track and I'm not against a covenant and I'm not against a, a spoken testimony. Those are all good things. But I want you to know that, that the gospel is straight from the word of God. It comes from the scripture. And though we can share a track and share a testimony of what God has done for us, friends, the Bible says that the, uh, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It is the word of God that we are saved, the Bible says, by incorruptible seed. We need the word of God to save souls. And so when I tell you the gospel that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day. I'm here to tell you that is straight from God's word. It is not some fable or some fairy tale. It is the very word of God. And you say, why? Because God loved you. And he sent his son to die for you. Verse 5, there's 
talks about some apostles and others that gave testimony. He was seen of Cephas, Peter, then of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. I just want to pause for a moment before I go on to the next scripture, and it's going to sound almost like two messages tonight, but the Bible is written that way. Verse 9 follows verse 8. That's pretty smart, isn't it? And so the apostle wants us to know the gospel first, and then this statement that he will make that has pricked my heart tonight. But I just want to pause and ask you, have you received that gospel message? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Again, it is not enough to simply believe. The Bible says the devils in hell believe and they tremble. Satan believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Satan saw the empty tomb. But we must receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Again, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave you power. Submit yourself to the Lord, open up your heart, and trust him tonight, and believe that he can save you from your sins. Now look at the Bible says, as Paul says in verse 8, and last of all, he was seen of me, also as of one born out of due time. Paul's revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ was a little different than the other's. The others saw the Lord Jesus Christ in that 40-day period after he had risen from the grave and before he ascended into heaven. The Bible tells of 500 brethren that saw him at once. We know that he walked into that upper room and there he saw the disciples. And and remember Thomas, who had doubted, wasn't there the first time, but the second time he was. And he said, unless I see the holes in his hand and his side, I will not believe. And Jesus appeared that second time and he held out his hands to Thomas. And he showed him his side. He said, go ahead and touch. And before he even touched, Thomas fell to his knees. and said, my Lord and my God. The Bible says that he was seen of others and the apostles later on on that hillside as he ascended unto heaven. We know that the Bible, the apostle Paul doesn't record that he also appeared to those disciples on the road to Emmaus. And many others saw the risen Savior. But the apostle Paul saw him after he ascended. On the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ would descend in a cloud and a bright light, and he would speak to Paul out of that cloud, and he said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And it was that day that Paul trusted in Jesus Christ and was converted and would become the apostle to the Gentiles. And notice what he says about that in verse 8. Last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. In other words, I wasn't there during the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. I wasn't perhaps not as old as Peter or others that had been there for his earthly ministry. And we know it was shortly after, for it was Saul that stood there and held the coats. There was a young man that said by the name of Saul who held the coats as they stoned Stephen in the early church. Perhaps he was a teenager when Christ was ministering on this earth, I don't know. 
But he said, I was one that was born out of due time, and I, I, I am now called an apostle. In verse 9, he says, for I am the least of the apostles. That I'm not me to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Notice what he says back in Verse 9. I want to challenge you tonight to think. I, I want to do something with the scripture here, and I, I, I'm not going to take away from the scriptures, but I want you to think a little bit and substitute your life into this verse. I, I believe with all my heart that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture, every jot, every tittle, every word is given by God and is profitable for you. Now, you might read that verse and say, Well, I'm not an apostle. No, but you're something. Look what it says in verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. How would you substitute into that verse? How would you describe yourself? I'm a child of God. I am a blood-bought believer. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Whatever you might title yourself, there it is. Let me, if I could, make it a little bit more applicable and, and maybe bring it down to a, 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 an understandable level or a human level. You might say, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a mom. I'm a school teacher. I'm a bus driver. I'm the garbage man. I work in a local store. I work on a farm. I have people under me that I influence. Notice what Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles. There was a humility about his position. He understood that I'm an apostle by the grace of God. I, I, I was born out of due time and I wasn't me to be or I wasn't fit to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. I'm a sinner, and yet God has called me to be an apostle. And maybe tonight you're thinking, you know what, I'm a mom, but I, I really don't, I'm not really fit to be a mom. Maybe you've had those days where you're overwhelmed. I'm a father, but I'm not really fit to be a dad. I just keep making these mistakes, and I mess up all the time. I'm a grandpa, I'm a grandma. Well, we all feel like failures from time to time, don't we? He says, I'm the least of the apostles, but I'm not mean. I, he's saying, I don't deserve to be called an apostle. 
I'm not fit. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. I've done some terrible things. I've met some people that don't believe they deserve heaven because they've done some terrible things in their lives. I've met folks that don't believe they deserve to be loved by anybody because of the sin that they've committed, things that they have done in their lives. You don't understand, they say. I've met married folks. I I know a fellow that one day he said to me, you don't understand what my wife has had to put up with. I think probably most men could say that. Paul is saying, you don't understand. I shouldn't be an apostle. I'm not fit to be an apostle because of all the terrible things I've done. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Isn't it amazing what grace can do? Take a man who stood there and watched a deacon stoned to death for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing great miraculous works. Brother Gerald, you're a deacon. Somebody said if we're going to be a biblical church, we need to stone the deacons. I don't know if that's good or not, but that's what the Bible did, right? But that's what Saul stood there and watched. And it began to prick his heart, I believe, on that very day because Saul, Stephen looked up into the heavens and said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says those Pharisees ran upon him and gnashed upon him with their teeth and they took up stones to stone him and Saul saw all of that. And soon after, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Paul understood what he had done. In Acts, it tells us that he had letters to go to Damascus, and there he would find Christians all on the way. And the Bible says he hauled them out of their homes, and he, he was going to deliver them in chains to be tried. But the Bible says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. He was also killing people. He says, I am, I'm not fit. I don't deserve it. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, there's a lot of doctrine in that verse, verse 10. There's a couple things we need to understand. Number one, the grace of God should keep us humble. What Paul is saying is that I'm nothing without God. If it were not for his grace, I would not be preaching the gospel. If it were not for his grace, I I would not be doing miracles. If not for his grace, I I would not be planting churches. But it's by the grace of God I am what I am. If it were for God's grace, I would be nothing. We must remember to be humble. James chapter 4 verse 6 reminds us, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The second lesson we can learn from that verse is that whatever you are, it's by God's grace. You know, sometimes we think we're not fit. Here's a little secret. We're probably not. I, I remember 24 years ago having our first child, thinking, how are we ever going to do this? Scared to death. Excited, but scared to death. 
but by the grace of God. We need to look at everything that God does in our lives as the hand of God, the blessings of God. We, we, we sometimes elevate ourselves, but the Bible says he resisteth the proud. Listen, wherever you have achieved in this life, whatever God has blessed you with, whatever you've been able to accomplish, listen, friends, it's by the grace of God. I'm going to let you in on something I hate. I hate is a bad word. We're not supposed to use that word. I despise. I don't like. I think it's foolish. When people give out these honorary doctorate degrees, I, I don't think it's wrong to be kind to somebody. I don't think it's wrong to encourage somebody. But we get these honorary doctorates and we hang them on our wall and the very next day we're known as doctor so-and-so. The apostle Paul was Paul. He shunned the titles of apostle. He's, I, he said, I'm not even meet to be called an apostle. He understood that where he was and what he was doing was all of God's grace. And lest he become prideful, he understood what James was saying, that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now listen to this. We're talking about grace right now. You are what you are by grace. And his grace, listen, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. It wasn't a waste of time. It wasn't useless or empty. Now, if I can put a human face on God for a moment, I, I don't even know if God is capable of this because God knows everything and he knows the end from the beginning and he knows how things are going to turn out but I, I just want to put a thought into your mind tonight would God ever regret the grace that he put and invested in you every time I fail I think God must regret Paul says, that grace which he bestowed upon me was not in vain. I did something with it. I served God with it. I labored with it. As a matter of fact, he says, I, I labored more abundantly than they all. And lest you think he's getting prideful, he says, yeah, not I. But the grace of God, which was with me. Nobody deserves grace, or it's not grace. But again, if I could just put it here, I don't think God ever regrets anything because God knows how it's going to turn out before he even starts. God, God's not a God of regret. But if we could just put a human thought to it tonight, does God regret the grace that he invested in you? So many have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and so many have professed to know him and they have turned away not receiving the grace of our God. Well, the Bible says that his grace is abundant. His grace is sufficient. 
Uh, there's an endless stream of his grace. We need not worry that his grace is going to run out. So I don't believe God ever regrets it. But Paul makes the point of saying, the grace he invested or bestowed upon me was not in vain. Can God say the same about you? What have you done with his grace? If God has truly changed your life, if you have received that gospel message that we read about in the first part of the chapter, let me ask you, can God truly say that his grace is not in vain, that he invested it in you and you have taken that grace and you've labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace which was with me? The apostle says, therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Boy, that, that grace of God has power, doesn't it? He says, whether it was me or somebody else that received this grace, when they preached about the grace of God, people believed. Well, I don't know about you, but I want a fruitful ministry. I want to see folks saved. We want to see lives change. We want to see people grow. But we have to take the grace that God has given us and use it for his glory. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before God. The very next verse in James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Do you want his grace? Submit. Surrender. Kind of goes along with what I was saying this morning. Die to self. Take up your cross and follow him. We need an army of servants that aren't trying to make a name for themselves, but instead trying to glorify Almighty God. Somebody said this. I don't know who said it. I know it was a plaque on Ronald Reagan's desk. It's amazing what can be accomplished when we don't care who gets the credit. Well, I, I would change that a little bit and say this. It's amazing what can be accomplished when we're careful to give God the credit. That's what Paul is doing. He's saying, you look at me and you see an apostle. Let me tell you, I don't deserve to be an apostle. And the only reason I am an apostle is because of his grace, which was bestowed upon me. But I want to say this, it wasn't in vain. Because I took what God gave me and I labored in the grace that was bestowed. Ah, I think if we're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, we need to work in that grace. We need to be faithfully just obeying God and doing what he wants me to do. You know, so many times we say, well, I, that's just not my strength. And that might be true. But let me tell you this, you have a gift. You have a spiritual gift that God gave you. And friend, we must use it for his glory because that's the grace that's been bestowed upon you. Let's bow our heads for a moment tonight, and I wonder tonight, first of all, as Paul shared that gospel message, do you know him? Have you received him? Right where you are, you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. We'd be happy to help you. We'd like you to call that number. You can text it, I believe. You can get on our website and email any of our staff, and we'll take some time this week and share with you in more in depth the gospel and answer any questions that you have from the word of God. But right where you are, if you say, I believe it, pastor. I believe what the Bible says, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. 
He rose again and he paid the price for my salvation and I just have to receive him by faith. You can trust Christ right where you are by calling out to him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, I I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. And Friends, first of all, it has to come from the heart. With the heart, man believes, and with the mouth, confession is made. If you believe in your heart, you can just cry out to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, that I'm lost, but that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin. That if I just trust in him 100%, and only him, nothing else, I can be saved. So Jesus, save me now. And if you can pray that prayer, you can be saved. I'm hesitant to to throw a prayer out like that or to lead you in that way. I still want you to call us or talk to us. And the reason I'm hesitant is because I don't believe in just pray this prayer and you can be saved. Friend, it has to be faith in your heart. You must believe. Maybe there's others here tonight that were challenged with the thought, if I put my name in that verse, whatever I am, I, I don't feel like I'm worthy. I... I'm not very good at being a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or a a brother or a friend. But by the grace of God, he's put you in that position. And he can help you and he can teach you and he can grow you. Because he does not bestow his grace in vain. By the grace of God, maybe you're a bus captain at our church. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. By the grace of God, he's put you there. And he wants to use you there. But you have to take the grace he has given you and walk in it and use it for his glory and just keep going. Would you trust him to make you a better teacher? Would you pray and ask him to make you a better deacon, a better Sunday school teacher, better master clubs worker? Because by his grace, he will.